everybody, and welcome to Attendance Bias. I am Brian Weinstein, your host. Today is the second part of a two-part conversation with Dartmouth professor Dave Lutz about the show on July 18th, 1999, which was day two of the Camp Oswego Festival. Previously in part one, Dave and I went over his background and introduction to fish, how he ended up at Oswego, and set one of the show. Today's conversation will focus on sets two and three of the show. This section of the show, in my opinion, is where things really kick into high gear. It has an extended runaway gym, an incredible piper that leaps to the top of my personal list, and a ridiculously awesome iculus that has full-on smoke-on-the-water teases and quotes. Dave, in the conversation, calls it, quote, so much icing that by the end of the set, he was still processing the beginning of the set. So... Let's get to it. Sets two and three of July 18th, 1999, day two of the Camp Oswego Festival. All right, so Choctaw Torcher closed set one. Now we're back for set two, which when I was glancing at the the recording, my mind was blown before I even pressed play because it opens with Runaway Gym, which is not unusual in the slightest, but it's a 24-minute long Runaway Gym when I was listening to that Meriwether Post Summer 99 show, that one was 12 minutes and I thought that was extended. Mm-hmm. This is a nearly half hour version of Runaway Jim and it's beautiful. It's all over the place. It yeah. really gives you everything fish could do in 1999, at least before Big Cypress happened. Mm-hmm. But there's um, hot and energetic playing in the beginning. There's quasi-funk with Fishman very much on the cowbell. There's Mm -hmm. a disco groove by Fishman and Trey toward the end. And then toward the very end of the recording, there's like a straight-ahead rock progression. It's wonderful, um, and it kind of demonstrates Fish throwing everything into the stew. Definitely at the time for me, it was beyond my comprehension. I think, you know, probably once we got into the 15 minute realm, it was getting so wild that I didn't understand it, I guess. I mean, same for me. And I'm talking about right now. No, it's, it's, it's definitely a beast. Um, I remember, you know, not even really being able to listen to the whole thing on tape at the time. And I wouldn't say sloppy by any means, but definitely like a, it, it, it requires a lot of patient listening because it's very energetic and it's, and it's pretty loud. You know, I feel like the sound in the summer in 99 that, you know, Trey's kind of wailing. It's very loud. 
I don't know. Every it, it, it just it's very heavy to me. It's it's very nonlinear. It doesn't follow any sort of progression. It, there's no rhyme or reason to it except for what comes next, like whatever they decided to shift toward. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it holds together pretty well for about half of it. I would say about 13 minutes. And then yeah. around seven, I put a note that around 17 minutes and 30 seconds, there's what I call the quote, usual 1999 swirling. Yeah, guitar effect by Trey, and there's lots of layering um, to the point where I thought it sounded almost like a freight train. This big oncoming crescendo. Yeah. about 19 minutes and then it started to wind down. It got a little repetitive and the last four or five minutes when I hear fish 1999, that's kind of the sound I, I picture I hear in my head is like this like swirling effects laden abstracts, yeah. you know, loss of a center sort of thing. And yeah. they got there. It's interesting that the first half or a little more than the first half is like sustained rock and roll. And then the second part of it, especially toward the end, is this abstract, kind of like 99 to 2000 in a microcosm. Yeah, that's, so, that's such a good, yeah, it's such a good way to put it, really. I thought about it that way. I mean, it is, it is very kind of, I'd say it's almost like in thirds, you know, first half straight ahead. And then they hit that groove and you can hear fish just going, when you know, it, in here. And I, I think in Fishnet, it says that there's a, is it super bad teaser, whatever they yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, you can hear I, it. It's yeah, I, I hear it as I always I at the time and I always hear it as a psycho killer tease where they're real close to it. And, and there's that little thing that happens and then it gets to that real loud, you know, and it's like saquette disky. It's very, yes, yeah. you know, it, it, it is that flavor totally. And I think that probably was the point for me at the time when I was like, I, I couldn't even follow it probably. And, and even listening now, yeah, I, you know, I was, li- I was looking at your notes and, you know, it, it being you know, the last five minutes is a little repetitive and it is probably, you know, it is probably a little bit much, uh, at the time. I mean, it's, you, if you listen to it, you can actually hear them try wanting to get into free and they don't quite yeah. get there and there's yeah. a little delay and then they, they do get there eventually. And it's so funny because, you know, we're, I'm picking apart the nuances of it or whatever, but, um, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a beast. It's it's not easy listening. I don't think on a tape. And no, I uh, would agree. It's a challenge. I think uh, for and that might be why you know it might not be accessible. And when you think of the main jams from a a, a festival like Great Wind, you know, uh, Gin or you know something. Or generally, six days more, from it. 
Yeah, they're they're sometimes a little bit more approachable. There's a notable thing, and and this one didn't really have, you know, one of those celebratory explosion thing. I mean, maybe right. the Piper, but even that we'll talk about. And- but it's it's self indulgent, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because what what better time to be self indulgent than a yeah. festival you're throwing for yourself and sixty five thousand of your fans <laughs> in the uh, three sets of music in the middle of the day. No one's got anywhere to go. Clocks no. don't matter anymore. Yeah. You know, like. What better time? So uh, yeah. you mentioned that they were transitioning into free or that Trey wanted to. They did get there eventually. I thought it was a very standard version, you know, straightforward. But there was a point about seven minutes in that I swear I would have recognized as 46 days if this were <laughs> past 2003. that when you listen I, I went and listened to it and i mean i i'm convinced that they will find little things or little jams and then recycle and and use them i mean you know obviously uh uh you know people were talking about how other jams and other tours it, it turned into you know fuego, songs in fuego and yeah i think that did happen to a large degree i you know, I'm even convinced, and I listened through 99, all the shows and rated them the whole thing. And and I used to have a little notebook where I'd pick out little jams. And I'm I'm almost convinced, Brian, This may, I'm, I may have just lost my mind. So <laughs> it's possible. But we're, I, we're all mad here. I, 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 uh, I'm pretty convinced that they, they have been listening to what they were playing. And they were coming across these different themes. And some of the themes that they latched onto that they found that really worked, they, in Cyprus, they, they made their way in there. And there's, you can go back to some of the better jams in earlier shows and then go try to find that on, on New Year's Eve and listen to the long songs and see if you can't find those themes. So it's probably not unrealistic to think that, you know, this was something that they stumbled upon here, kind of liked it, filed it away. Um, it is very, it's very slow. I mean, I feel like free. Everything is very slow on this show. (laughs) Except for the next couple songs, oh, actually. Yeah. No, um, it- I mean, the Meat Stick was, I thought, a lot of fun just listening to it because Trey really should never be around a microphone when it's time to talk because he just <laughs> never stops. Uh, when he was, you know, he's so excited about uh, the Meat Stick and, you know, they're going for this world record. He tells the crowd all about it. And I have to say, I thought it was very charming. I thought it was very cute that he keeps mentioning the Guinness Book of World Records. Okay. Chris is going to turn the lights on 
the audience, before we start this, I know there's some of you out here that have never done the meat stick. So we're going to teach you how. Okay, so first we're going to teach you how to do the meat stick. And once you've learned how to do the meat stick, life is never the same again. You just, So everybody's got to do the meat stick. We're going to videotape it. We'll turn on the lights. We still have just enough light in the sky. And uh, hopefully your picture will be in the Guinness Book of World Records as the biggest. So first things first, Mike and I will come out front and teach you the steps. We're going to enlist the, uh, the uh, help of our friend Sophie. Come on out here. Anybody else? Only Sophie's going to come out. I happen to believe, you know, Trey's a little bit older than us, but I remember growing up in the mid 80s, late 80s in elementary school and then middle school. The Guinness Book of World Records was like the most fun bathroom reading that you could have. Like you could flip through it for hours and hours. And I feel he has that same sort of (laughs) connection to it. I think it's from a time before now when everything you could just look up on Mm -hmm. Google. I feel like the Guinness Book of World Records kind of was like, things that you never knew existed but were excited to find out about. Yeah, totally. That was kind of, and I think he had that in his head when they were coming up with this whole idea. Yeah, I, I this, you know, and Meat Sick was another one for me that really changed my life in a lot of ways. To me, the Guinness Book of World Record, I used to get it for Christmas every year. and Right, it's that sort of thing. To, and I used to try to, you know, try to remember it and memorize it and, you know, and, and I just like I would do the the set lists and things, and so, you know, all of a sudden, he, and I, because I had been it, you know, away, and I, you know, I didn't have internet at the time, <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard to believe, but I had no idea that they had been playing the song or that mm-hmm. there's a dance. So, pretty fun surprise. And then on top of it, this other thing that was kind of like, this is clearly novel. This is going to make it into some, you know, famous show, and it was something that. I was there. I liked, you know, I, I read it myself and you're right. It's at the time it was a, it was the only place you could ever learn about some of these things. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a totally funny thing to think about. Uh, one, one little anecdote too, though, is that I, I think that they're mad that they got burned on this. I agree. I agree a thousand percent. I'm sure it drove Trey crazy. And, and I know he's referenced in another show sometime, but the reason I, because in It, the, you know, the, the first or second day of It, I don't know if you remember, but the, you know they put the, the, um, the uh, eye, you know, the glasses with the nose. On the water tower, yeah. So in the front row, they were passing them out. They had them. And they're passing it out to everybody. And we were like, what is going on with this? And actually, some of the fish.com pictures, you can see it. And the staffer was telling me they want to try to set the record for the most people wearing the glasses and nose thing. And they, and, and they never mentioned it. It never happened. I was there. But, I never heard about it. No, see, and I, and I think they wanted to, like, they wanted to somehow get that they're like, we have this many people in one place, so let's break a record or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's, that's what Curveball would have been. You know, we missed on <laughs> something else there. But uh, so for after the meat stick dance, you know, it was good, silly fun, which is 
you know, one of the reasons we all go see fish for good, silly fun. Uh, there's kind of a trio of songs that closed it, none of which were, I don't think, notable for any real reason, except for that they're good songs, were Gaiuti, Axela, and Llama to close it. All right, and here we are at the final set of Oswego, night two, July 18th. 1999. So set two closed with a very fiery llama, which Dave, you said was extremely hot and extremely intense. And by now the sun's gone down, right? For set yeah. three, it's nighttime. Yeah. Did the, did the heat give way at all at night? It, Remember. it, it, it actually, we, you know, we were in the shade of the, you know, big black meshy tent thing. So had, and I wrote in my notes here, Thank God for the water, because yeah. I'm telling you, we, I remember, you know, yelling across the rail to my buddies who had the water and a security guard, I was like, hey, can you go over there? My friends have water there. I don't have any water with me and I'm, I'm, I'm dying here. And can you bring it over? And the guy brought it over and, uh, and it was, a you know, they had allowed us to bring in the capped water because the, the tanks actually the first day, I remember a few of them like being empty. And there was no more water left. And so I think they waived that. And I just remember like drinking that and being like, oh my God, there's no way I would have like, I mean, yeah. I probably would have fainted. So it I'm did. sure, I'm sure <laughs> dozens of people did. Yeah. I think people probably did. And it, um, it did cool off. I think once you get to the end then, you know, and everybody's sweaty, so they're cooling themselves off and it started to chill out a little bit. I think, I mean, you wouldn't think it now as we talk about the Piper really, but it, that was a distinct, this is really insane. We can't keep up this intensity. And then there's a stop. And then there's kind of this mellow, my soul, it starts. Right, right. My soul opens, which I was really, my brain played a trick on me, played a trick on me. Because when I, when I saw my soul, I'm like, oh, again. And then I looked up the stats. It was only played five times in 1999. Mm -hmm. And when I, I was like, oh, well, what am I thinking about? I looked back, so it was played five times in 99, 12 times in 1998, and 30 times wow. in 1997. Boy, that's amazing. They played, I think, I just went over this, I think they played 84 shows in 1997, 30 times. That's more than once every third show. Yeah, it's a lot. So anyway, wow. it's very standard. It was like a standard mm -hmm. warm-up set opening song. And then the next one, Piper was anything but standard. This, to me, left a dent in yeah. my, like, I'm never going to forget this. This Piper is unbelievable. I thought that Runaway Jim required a lot of close listening. That It's like a little brother compared to this yeah. Piper. Um, I have no qualms about recommending it to the top of pretty much anybody's list. And I was there for 2004 at SPAC when they played that unbelievable twist in Piper. I think this one... In, for my taste, supersedes it. This is really, I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah, and I wrote my notes a couple things. I mean, one of the things is um, you can hear the little slow build. So it was a quiet slow build, and then yeah. there's that little part where they kind of go, do 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 Yeah, when you expect the the progression yeah. to start. Yeah. And, um, and and they're kind of, they're hitched on that and they're delaying on that. And actually in that moment, and in the audience recording, you can hear the cheers, but that was when the glow sticks started for the festival. Mm -hmm. 
And so the glow sticks are going. And of course, that was my first time. So and it was dark then. And so they really, you know, the band liked that. And I still have my little glow stick that I wrote on, you know, from the thing. And um, and so that was getting every that, that was revving them back up again. Right. They seemed like, you know, they had tried to calm down and then that, you know, that started getting them back, <laughs> back into the swing of it. Um, and then, um, yeah, this thing, I think anytime the band takes at that point, it taken a live moment and put it onto a recording, you know, meant that it was meaningful to them. And the fact that they did that, you know, folded it into a farmhouse, uh, you know, the farmhouse piper, I think they were kind of saying, we really liked what we did here. And, and, you know, the, it is really, you know, it's, it's the, the first part is totally just absolutely beautiful. And then, and then they, 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 you know, as you're, as you were saying, they start to ramp up and by 10 minutes, you know, they're it's just, fast. It's, it's fast. really fast. Like um, I wrote fast by five, by five minutes, even faster by seven minutes, major onslaughts and Trey <laughs> is going at 1000 miles per hour by eight minutes and then hyperspace from Fishman at 10 minutes. Like this is just the only way I could think to describe it is like, if you've ever seen the movie Contact with Jodie Foster toward the end, this was like a wormhole of unimaginable speeds. they were able to do this how were they able to maintain this tempo and this intensity it's almost superhuman yeah it was fast and and um you know in this and you can hear it ripple its way but fish really loved these fast cowbell based beats oh yeah it's all I over mean, this show it's, it's all, all over, over this, this show day. it's on this it's in the it's in runaway gym too and then in this one too he does it. he does a lot of big cypress which i remember him doing and and it's a lot in here. And that five minutes when he's doing that, it is because he's then he is just kind of like exploring. And I remember just being like, OK, I thought I kind of knew what this guy had been able to play on albums and stuff. And then here's these polyrhythms everywhere. And it was like in the middle of 50 minutes. And yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, you're kind of like, I didn't know people could do this. And I didn't yeah. know this was possible. <laughs> he's a sort he's a sort of drummer that when you get a good look at or a good listen to, if you play the drums, you kind of say, What's the point? You know, I guess yeah, he can it he did. already it, do it and do it better than I can. And I think at this point, I mean I think at this point in the show, you know, probably the glow stick warm was more meaningful to me. I think the music, I think I don't remember the end of it. I mean, I remember looking and catching the eye of my friend and being like, Oh my god, this is insane and um, it, 
it, it was probably over my head for sure. Once you get past about 15 minutes in this thing, I did remember, you know, just like, you know, we all did, we would get the tapes for the shows we went to and I'd listen to it over and over and over again. And, um, and it's a, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a really, it's pretty amazing. It's worth listening to multiple times. It's going to find a permanent place in my playlists. I just, this was one of the biggest gems that I've found in, I found that I've heard in years. I just, I can't say enough good things about it. It gets really heavy at the end, almost with a Zeppelin type feel. I, I thought um, around 22 minutes and then Fishman I wrote has a cowbell fetish yeah. at the, in the last like two minutes or so he's big on it. Yeah. But man, I just, if you're on an empty highway, you're going to find yourself going really fast, like 105 miles per hour yeah. if you're just listening to this song. between 14 and 15 minutes is one of my little favorite little jamlets. Yeah, jamlets, <laughs> all, I like that. Yeah. Of all time, I can hear it all in my mind. And it, it's really, you know, I, it, it, it's, it's fun to, it, everybody should be listening to this one and, and experiencing it. And maybe, you know, maybe not um, everybody's cup of tea, but it, it's pretty hard to not like at least what was going on in most of this. Well, it has that same sort of orientation as Runaway Jim did, where yeah. it's almost the same length. They're both about yeah. 24 minutes. They yeah. are both made up of multiple sections or even yeah. movements that are nonlinear. One has nothing to do with the previous one. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, some of them are a little bit more accessible than others, but it's all part of the same piece. And it displays a lot of what fish can do for better. And I won't even say for worse, but, you know, for better and for what you're not quite used to, you know, for what's what you like and what you may not like. It's all over the place. And it's, it's unique, if nothing else. They were finding these, these, you know, faster space groove kinds of things that they were starting to getting tired of the older grooves that they had been playing in you know, 97 and they're getting faster. And now they're, they're building and building and building. And they hit this kind of cacophony and then it it's almost like it collapses on itself. Yes, yes. And, and like it, it always happens at the end, yeah. It's very similar. That now that you pointed out, you know, they collapse into free there. And here they do the same kind of a thing where it's spacing and then it's, you know, and here it's Caspian, right? Where they, yeah. they like find themselves. And But it is a very, and I think that's what it is. The sound in this year is just very builds, groove, and then just kind of not knowing where to go. And instead it just goes up and loud. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Prince Caspian, it's a nice mid tempo break and it's got its 
guitar pyrotechnics. It's got yeah. its highlights on fish.net. It's, it's on the jam charts. It, it is a notable version of punch you of, um, I'm sorry, of Prince Caspian, yeah. but even, even with it, I was not fully focused on Prince Caspian. When I was listening through, my mind was still with Piper, but I did like that Prince Caspian is kind of this mid tempo, almost like a campfire sing along. You're just kind of coming down from it. Almost like it's the end of the day and the excitement's over even though in any other show, this Prince Caspian would certainly be considered a highlight. In this pe- period of time, it, it was a kind of a cool down, I think, for sure. Yeah. And I think at the time, you know, they had been really hammering, playing a lot of Caspian in, in years prior. And, and now we think of, it's funny how your perceptions of songs change over time. You know, there was a little bit of a backlash against Caspian at this time for being a little too uh, sing-songy and, and yeah, kind of, you know, kind of mellowy and, but it's a great placement, you know, I mean, really yeah. when you think about it, it, it is not, you know, it's a, it's something that you would actually really be pleased to hear now after a jam like that. It's Absolutely. And, it is uh, settling. That's a good way to put it. And, uh, and I, I think there's probably many other songs that they might play now after something like that, that I would be less pleased to hear. And so it's kind of funny at the time. I mean, I don't remember much about the Caspian, um, I think my mind was still sure. <laughs> I still have to figure out where with, what that with was. Sixty thousand other people. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's a, beautiful. Yeah, and it is. It is beautiful. It's worth a listen. And then after Prince Caspian, there's Wilson, which is you know usual, typical. But I thought it had a cool, unorthodox ending that kind of had this weird feedback that yeah. went into my other favorite part of the show: <laughs> uh, the whole madness of catapult. Smoke on the Water, Iculus, kind of like the fishiest part of the second night of Oswego, I would say. Did did you have any idea going into this about Catapult or Iculus or any of this? I can't imagine I mean, what this must have been it, like for you. Yeah, the, the Wilson I remember because I remember being, I had forgotten, you know, that, that Wilson was something in their catalog because I hadn't paid attention to it. And it just kind of was like, oh shit, well, they also play this too, you know? And because it was so, you know, this had been on an album and and then that shows up and then it just kind of, div- you know, devolves into this loud, weirdo catapult thing. I don't think I knew what that was at the time for sure. I mean, I, I can't imagine. Now they did play it then in Cyprus and I knew what it was because I had just <laughs> seen it. Coincidentally, I think the talking... I was really pleased to see because I did know that he would narrate and I had had enough tapes at that time that I was really looking forward to him talking and just joking around. And, and, uh, you know, I had, I think at the time I remember him wanting to do some game hinge sort of narration, which is what, you know, most of the narrations were. This was not like that. This was just riffing. I mean, this was really banter, but not a narration at all. Right, I mean, absolutely. There was no I, story here. No, and I don't, I don't think that really happened too often back then. I mean, think you listen to the early stuff, they joke around or whatever. But Iculus is one of the weird narrations where he's talking and it's not a, it's not, there's no story. It's just, you know, there's no start end like a game engine thing. It just kind of, he's just kind of going for it. And, and at the time, yeah, I mean, I had no, I, I mean, we were just kind of like, well, I wonder what the hell is going to happen. And then, it moves into these just 
really funny jokes in here. Yeah, and he, he talks even more about the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah. You know, he, he can't get it out of his head, and he's so excited because he says, you know, Guinness was here, they filmed all of us, we've all broken a record. He assumes the deal's done. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he's wrong. <laughs> um, but that's it's all about that. And then for some reason, he starts talking about the greatest classic rock song, Smoke on the Water, and they play the whole first verse of it. Which sounds pretty great, actually. Read the book. Read it. Read the book. Read the book. funny and i you know at the time i did it, we were laughing people are like you can hear it on the tapes so people are laughing when i think about it one of my favorite jokes of all time is when he's like now we're gonna we're gonna set the the record for the longest vamp on any chord yeah, yeah in history yeah. and he goes this is e and then he said now this is gonna take about three or four hours so everybody just relax he said just get comfortable yeah <laughs> really funny because because they don't do anything for you know another 20 30 seconds and people were like what <laughs> I mean, yeah so, and they're fish you could believe it could you imagine going in front of that many people and <laughs> deadpanning like yeah and and it even occurred to me re-listening to it today was when they're in the middle of playing smoke on the water i always thought that <laughs> i don't know because i know you play drums and when ever you had like friends over or you'd get together with with friends to quote form a band or not whether or not you actually did i feel like smoke on the water is like the number one song that any group of three or four kids of who can play any instruments it comes around sooner or later yeah. it's got to be there and it's not that different for fish in the middle of this crazy uh section but it sounds like they're Unbelievable. It sounds so professional. Like it's kind of like what you wish you and your friends sounded like in your basement or your garage. And I think a lot of this humor, right? I think 
it's funnier now for us. At the time, I remember it being kind of wackier, like funny insights. But now, you know, because he's making fun of Danielle Steele in there. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I knew who that was. And, and they, they sing Miss You by the Rolling Stones <laughs> for a few seconds. Like, this is... And this is wild stuff. And, you know, and they're shouting out Zappa because it's in the song and that's what the song's based on. And then there's the connection there. And at the time, you know, that was over, I think over my head and I couldn't put it together, but it was pretty silly. As soon as they started to talk about books. Yeah. You know, that was really, I thought, okay, well, it's possible they could do this because it would be kind of weird to not do something like that now. Yeah. And, you gotta open the door. You kind of yeah. gotta go through with it now. And Trey even says in Iculus about how people need to pick up books and everyone's watching TV and we don't read enough books. And I had a flash forward in a way that um, the first time I heard Iculus live was in 2009. It was August 14th in Hartford, mm-hmm. where the whole theme of it was nobody reads anymore. You're all on, you're all on your phones, right? No, no one, he's like, I'm on the subway. I see you on your phone. Trey's like mimicking as if he had a cell phone in a, a smartphone in his hand. Yeah. He goes, nobody reads anymore. And that launched into the whole read the book. So when he said that here, I was like, wait a minute, this is time travel at, you know, it, at least it was, it was kind of disorienting in the best yeah. way possible. But when it comes to transitions, when they got to Iculus, I, I just said, all right, we're in legendary set territory yeah. now. Like between that Piper, um, an outstanding Prince Caspian, that's kind of an afterthought at this point. And now Iculus with this crazy smoke on the water, cat scratch fever, like all this really funny, goofy stuff with all this narration and banter. This is one for the books. Like this is, no pun intended, like this is, <laughs> this is one of the, better sets there there is um and it closes with nothing unremarkable either because it uh, moves on to the mighty quinn which is kind of just an all-time fun party song Mm -hmm. uh fluffhead which was again it's something like 17 minutes or 16 minutes it's a really big fluffhead and the encore is harry hood like this is the stuff that dreams are made of when it comes to fish set lists what's so funny about it is uh at the time, I hadn't heard Slave to the Traffic Light yet, and that was my favorite song and still is my favorite song. And yeah. I, was, I wanted to hear it. You know, I was really itching to hear it, and so I made a little poster. This was before the poster tour, but I knew that they would play it. I don't know how I knew that, but I made a little thing for it, and I put it up there in the first, you know, and then um, it got lost at the start of the third Aww. set. And so what's really funny about that is that Right before Mighty Quinn, they're going, well, we're just going to mill about. Yeah, they took forever to figure out And they're like, what we don't know what play. to play. And I didn't have my poster, and I had been yelling and cheering. My voice was gone. I actually yeah. lost my voice. And I'm going, Slave. And they can't hear me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm right here. Like, I really want the, you know. And so they, you know, they play Fluff It, which was totally great. But, like, yeah. you know, man, I was just like, err. And so, actually, funnily, later at Cyprus, I brought two posters because I wanted to Just in case it. you lose one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, you know, the, the then Fluffhead, which we don't think of as being really actually a set closer, I think. You know, it was... Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it was 
so I think a lot of people thought maybe something after that too, but at that point, you know, they're pretty, it's pretty late and, um, but no, it was triumphant ending. It's very tight. Um, you know, they wrap it up and then the hood, um, uh, you know, I think at the, at that point, the, the, the majesty of hood being the closer, especially with what happened at the when and, and with the glow sticks and everything, you know, it started to wane a little bit, like, you know, throwing the glow sticks for Piper meant, you know, okay, it's not just about that one song being the point where people are celebrating. And so here's this dramatic hood thing that happens in the encore, which is also, you know, obviously really cool. Um, but at the same time, we, you know, I, it was a lot to process. And what I do remember though, is the fireworks playing that at the end of that thing. Yeah. You could hear it on the recording. Yeah. And then it kind of ends and, you know, what, 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 what was that? You know, it was, um, I think, I think pretty much at a certain point in there, it was so much icing for me, you know, I think Fluffhead and then, and then Hood, then the encore was, you know, was just kind of a, kind of like, this can't get much better than this, you know? Yeah. You can't, you can't ask for too much more than that. I think at the time it went, you'd seen pretty much they're going to, you know, they give you the whole bag of tricks. There's a guest, there was, this Guinness Book thing, a bunch of deep jams into unexplored places. Um, game funny stuff, uh, yeah, narration, game hedge stuff, and, and then, songs. It, it, you can't. I mean, so yeah, it really is almost everything there. Amazingly, yeah, and and not to forget, this was one of two nights. There's a whole other night and a whole other set of shows um, or sets, and. Also, this is what we said in the beginning of this conversation was a quote unquote forgotten festival. You know, this could, this would be an all time pinnacle if it were in 2010, you know, it's, yeah, I, it's just, it's mind boggling the, the density of this band's legacy. And it's kind of cool though, that it's a little under the radar. I mean, I wear this shirt, you know, all the time when I go to shows now, people always see it. They know and a lot of, I think a lot of people were there and, but I think it was, you know, even now they don't do multiple festival years in a row. Um, this would have been then, you know, six, seven, eight, there have been four years of summer festivals. And um, as weird as it is to think, I really do think people, you know, kind of are like, okay, we've, we've done this a handful of times before. It's not exactly quite as the same as Went or Clifford Ball now. And, you know, are they, are they doing this too much? But that's fine. I mean, it's fine for me because I, it's almost, it's kind of nice because it's a little mysterious. It is a, like you said, it's, 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 it's kind of overlooked. And it is unique in, in so many ways, you know, in the ways that I listed before also where not every festival had a side stage, you know, where they had right. other musicians play. And this is cool because it, like we talked about during the Del McCurry songs, it expands a lot of fans' musical palettes probably. Um, it's in the middle of the summer. So they were all warmed up and they were still in the middle of a transition of sound, you know, yeah. before fall tour 99, when things really got spacey and ethereal yes. and abstract. Yeah. Um, and it's, there was no secret set, right? Right. Yeah. So, that was, that was something too, because, uh, we had been here, you know, we had heard about that in the other ones and you know, they, I think they just, there was no way they could have, um, they could have done that. I mean, and I, I, you know, I hadn't thought that they hadn't had those side stages. And I wonder if they even, did they even do that at it or the other ones? If the other bands had come, I can't remember. To me, 
it was kind of a blur because we came up from, and this, this could even be the topic of a whole nother uh, discussion, <laughs> honestly, but um, I didn't see much of it in, except for the music. Yeah. Like I was camped so far away. We got no sleep coming in. Um, yeah. So I didn't really get to fully experience it. I can say that it's Super Bowl and Magna Ball and presumably Curveball. Um, there really weren't any side stages, no official artists. So this was, you know, it was kind of a, it was more of a gathering, you know, if, even if production-wise it wasn't a full-scale festival as we've come to expect one. Yeah. I think, I think, I, I we watched, we went to the side stage, we watched, bands and stuff and we saw people playing and you know during the day on the first night when we weren't as close and um yeah that was you know there were a lot it was a full suite it was it was a lot like um what some of the festivals eventually made their way into where you'd have yeah. side stages and at the time that was i'm sure that there were other you know there jazz festivals and stuff with multiple side stages but for me that was totally different you know yeah i will say one you know one little anecdote though i remember this was the same weekend, right when I think JFK Jr. died, and so mm-hmm. it, right. it was right there. And so I remember going to the side stage, going back into the shade tent, um, and everybody passing around these newspapers with this, you know, this whole thing on it. Yeah, and it was definitely like a, you know, like I remember where I was when I saw that, and I think other people saw that. And, but it was, you know, it was right by the side stage. It was very dusty, people kicking up dust everywhere. <laughs> It was uncomfortable. It was about as uncomfortable as you could probably imagine. <laughs> um, you know, but thank, I'm, you know, being 17, you didn't, <laughs> I didn't care. What a fun time. All right. Well, we've said it all for <laughs> half of Oswego, right? Imagine if we listened to the whole festival, right? That would, we would need a, we have to take a couple of days off work for that. Yeah, uh, but, um, but thank you so much, Dave, for sharing your experiences, your stories, your thoughts, your memories, everything. This was really an epic discussion, and I can't wait to go back and pick out the gems from these shows and just add them to my all-time playlist. Thanks so much for awesome. being here. Oh, what a treat. So much fun. So good to see you. Likewise. I'll do it anytime. And there you have it, part two of my conversation with Dave Lutz about July 18th, 1999, Camp Oswego. And I don't know about you, but before I listened to this show in preparation for this conversation, I knew about Oswego. I heard bits and pieces of it here and there, but I didn't really ever sit down to give it a thorough analytic listen. And Let me tell you, it's more satisfying than I ever could have imagined. And so I know I've said this over and over again. If you haven't gone out of your way to listen to the Oswego Festival, please make sure that you do so. Treat yourself as a fan of this band. And throughout our conversation today, Dave and I had a couple of references and facts that needed to be double checked. So now it's time for our fact check. First, when we got to Fluffhead toward the very end of today's show, I said that Fluffhead is, quote, 16 minutes or 17 minutes. I was off by quite a bit. It actually clocks in at about 22 minutes and 44 seconds. So lots of extra good stuff in that Fluffhead. Also, Dave mentions, quote, the poster tour when he's talking about his uh, Slave to the Traffic Light poster. 
when he talks about the poster tour, he's talking about the 2011 summer tour, during which people began to bring dozens of posters, and the band would occasionally play song requests from those posters, and they even referenced those posters on New Year's Eve 2011, when they had a person, presumably working for the band and part of the gag, a person toward the front of the stage, throw a poster that had the word steam written on it, and from there, that kind of led to the steam gag. So 2011 summer was, I didn't know this, the poster tour. And that's it for part two of our conversation about day two of Camp Oswego. I'd like to thank Dave Lutz for joining us today, fish.in for providing all of the fish recordings that we'll ever need in a lifetime, fish.net for everything they do, and always, I'd like to thank you for listening. Attendance Bias is available wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find Attendance Bias on Facebook. Do you have a story to tell about a show that you attended? Go to attendancebias.com or message me on Facebook. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.